as I set up, I'll just uh, I'll make a quick confession. I think I spent a majority of my life believing that the letter to the Thessalonians was written to the people in the area of Thessalonia, and it wasn't until um, Mark started talking about that that I realized it's actually the area of Thessalonica. So if you also believe that, I just want you to know you're not the only one. Um, so that's just my confession for this morning. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for this time that we get to spend together. We give you thanks that we get to come before you to open your word, to see what it is that you want us to see, Father. Ultimately, we hope to just get to know more about your character, Father, and to understand who you are, how you love us, Father, and what you have planned for us. So we just pray, Father, that as we go through this scripture, that you would um, guide us, that you would speak to us, Father, and that ultimately your will, your will would be done. So we just give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so me and Clarissa actually just celebrated our first wedding anniversary um, back in March. It was a pretty quick year. I want to say the year went by really fast, so I'm kind of glad about that. Um, but one other milestone that I wanted to talk about, at least for this introduction, is one that occurred in January. Uh, in January, it was actually uh, a year that we've been in our apartment. Um, so for most of you, that's probably not a big, that's probably not a big milestone in your, in your opinion. But for me, um, that milestone is important to me because to me, um, I remember the day that we moved in, and to me that day will, also, will always be the day that the Lord intervened um, in my life. Uh, it's one day that I'll never forget. Um, for the most part, that day that we moved in, it was actually a pretty easy move. We actually had a lot of people help us move that day, um, all of them from the chapel. It was great. We had so many people helping. It's probably the easiest move that I've ever participated in. Um, I don't know how they felt because they did most of the moving, but um, I know for me it was probably the easiest day. And I remember that day clearly because uh, Clarissa and I, we came up with a game plan. We knew when we wanted to start. We knew that we were going to ask people when they were free instead of telling them that we wanted to move on a certain day. That way we made sure we got the most amount of people that would come and help us. Um, we pretty much planned it, when we would be leaving, where we would meet, um, the drops that we would make, where we would pick stuff up, where we would drop stuff off. It was actually probably one of the most well thought out plans that we ever had. And for the most part, it went off without a hitch. We moved all our stuff. We were able to get things going. Um, and then towards the end of the day, um, you know, we all had, uh, I think we had dinner together. I think it was pretty late enough that we would consider it dinner. And we were sitting in the apartment, um, eating in and out, and just hanging out, and then giving, just thanking everybody for their time. And so as everybody left, um, we had, I had planned that night, since Clarissa was going to stay in the apartment, since she was the one that already was out of the house, and I still lived at home, I was like, okay, she'll be living in the apartment until we get married in March. And so I figured, okay, on this night, I'm going to help her unpack her stuff, get her ready for the day. Um, and so we started moving some stuff around. We started taking stuff out of boxes. And the first thing that I noticed is that it got dark really quickly. I mean, this is back in January, right? So right in the middle of winter. And it was really dark. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's crazy. I didn't realize how dark it got um, here in Laverne. Oh, we, live in, we live in Laverne. Um, and so as we started unpacking stuff, I started to realize something. Um, there was no light fixtures in any of the living areas in that apartment. Like, like there was a light in the kitchen, in the, in the hallway, and in the bathroom, but in the living room, um, in the two bedrooms, there were switches, like there was, there was switches on the wall, there were outlets, but there was no actual fixtures. And that was something that I didn't even realize when we were looking at the apartment. We had visited the apartment, I think, twice before that, and each time the previous tenant, uh, all their stuff was there, so I think everything just looked normal to me. And then, you know, obviously we're visiting during the day, so we're not even thinking about the nighttime. So even in all my planning, I'm sitting there and I'm realizing there's literally no light where she would be spending a majority of her time. 
And I remember Clarissa was telling me that she was actually super nervous about staying in the apartment by herself since she's uh, never been on her own. Technically, I mean, she's always been with roommates. She's been living at home. And I told her, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And I was trying to let her know, like, who cares? Like, you know, it's just, you'll be fine. But then I'm sitting there thinking, she literally has no light. She would literally be sitting in the darkness. I think it got late to the point where I wasn't even sure if anything was open or where I could go and purchase, um, like, a lamp or something. And I just felt, I felt so terrible. And I, and I thought to myself, even in all my planning, we planned the entire day, we were ready for weeks, everything went off without a hitch. And in the final moments, I realized I wasn't prepared for this. And I felt terrible. And then I was looking around, and I realized that I had brought some boxes from my house. People are really diligent. They were sending us wedding gifts, like, months in advance. And I thought to myself, well, I might as well open these boxes. And I opened one box, and in that box was a gift from one of my college friends, his name's Taylor, and it was a lamp. And I opened that sucker up, and I, we set it up, and I, put, I think we put it in the bedroom that time so that she would at least be able to have light before she, was, she would go to sleep. And to me, that day always represents the day that the Lord intervened in my life. Like, honestly, like, I felt, I felt like garbage. I was like, I can't believe it. I, I thought I would be able to protect her. We're not even married yet, and I'm already failing. And, and, and I, was, I was just so distraught. And that lamp represented the Lord intervening and taking care of me even when I didn't expect him to, even when I wasn't even ready for it. And so to me, that, always, that day always represents something that really happened in my life that I tell everybody that story all the time. I'm like, when people talk about, you know, how the Lord intervenes in their life, and they have all these crazy stories about the Lord saving them from disaster and things, that, that's my disaster. That's the one that I think of. Um, so I, I felt like I really wanted to share that, especially going into this chapter. We'll be going into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and for this morning, uh, we'll be focusing on the first 11 uh, verses. These first 11 verses deal with the day of the Lord. Um, it deals with Paul's, Paul's writing to the, to the church, letting them know about this specific day and how they were to prepare themselves. Um, and the one thing I think that I want to stress as we get into this chapter is really how should we as believers, how should we be preparing for this day of the Lord? You know, and we'll go through this chapter and we'll try to hit some different topics, but just kind of have that in the back of your mind. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read and we'll be going through the first 11 verses. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate, the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who supplied for us, uh, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. And so we begin this time, we'll read, again, one more time, we'll read verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, uh, you have no need of anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, you know, as we start opening this, 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 this chapter, we see that, you know, Paul talks about um, the times and the seasons. It's interesting that he would use both of these examples as kind of a, a stepping stone. We know that for time, is, is the, the Greek word is chronos, and it usually signifies a specific allotment of time. Um, time is usually used in a quantitative sense. So 
um, something tangible, something that you can measure. Usually the day is either we would think about like a 24-hour period or a time period or an epic or something. But usually the word time is used to denote something that you can actually measure. And then seasons is usually used as a qualitative in, in a way, something that's not as easily measurable. It's a little bit more abstract. And so when we think of seasons, we think of you know, seasons of famine, seasons of, of harvest, seasons of you know, bad times, good times. And that's kind of like the difference between the two words is he's talking about this intersection of quantifiable time versus qualitative time. So the reason he kind of brings that up, I think, is that he wants to let us know that this day of the Lord is not a random day. You know, we think, of, we think of it as coming in the future and we know that we ourselves don't know when it's coming, but Paul wanted to make sure that they knew that this day of the Lord was something that the Lord had set, he was fully ordained and deliberately planned as an event that would happen. He wanted to let them know that they would see signs, they would see things that were coming, and he wanted to know that God had a plan and God had a thing that he had already set in motion and he wanted them to know. So even though we don't know the exact day or time, we can trust that God has ordained it to happen in a way that we have faith that he will do so. And so, you know, it's kind of just that intersection between, between seasons and times, between the qualitative and quantitative. Um, and so as we continue to go on, we know that this, because of this intersection, we think of it as a perfect time. And a perfect time is a time that is set apart, a time that is ordained, a time that is planned. And he tells them he has no need to write um, them anything. This idea of no need would be there is no qualification, there is no requirement, there is no, there is no need because he has already spoken to them. And so as we go through, we can kind of see the reason that he would, he, they wouldn't need to write to them is because we know that Paul had visited the church earlier on. He had spent some time with them. He had to prematurely leave. And so most people believe that he had already given them some insight into this day of the Lord. And so for him to tell them that there is no need for him to write to them, it's kind of a way of saying, I've already told you about this before, but he's just kind of broaching the subject one more time. Um, and again, just something that's not so frivolous, but something that's, that's of utmost importance. Um, we, know that, we know that when Paul writes this letter, we know that he will eventually write the second letter to the Thessalonians. And in that one, I think, I think we'll actually go through it too, but spoiler alert, in that one, he, the, the, the Thessalonians believe that they missed the rapture, that they missed the day of the Lord, and he'll eventually write to them again saying, hey, don't worry, you didn't miss it, it's still coming. But we know right now at least he's trying to give them some, some, some way of, of kind of knowing what they're going to do. Um, For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, verse 2, comes as a thief in the night. This idea of um, you yourselves know perfectly, in some translations the word is fully aware. Um, and this idea of knowing perfectly is this idea of being accurate, careful, and then in a lot of translations or a lot of the original language, it's almost this idea you can trace it. So you know it so perfectly that if you were to, if you were like a child trying to trace a picture, you can follow the lines, you can follow the dots, you can follow the colors, you see where you can just see it exactly the way it is, and you should know it like the back of your hand. And so for him, he's letting him know you should be fully aware of this day, as if you know it like the back of your hand, as if you know how to get from point A to point B. Um, and so being able just to trace that time. Um, it's funny because if we look back um, when Christ was here in Matthew 16, he actually criticizes the Sadducees and the Pharisees because they were asking for a sign. And he, would, he would tell them, you know, the sky is going to turn red and you guys are going to think about the weather as opposed to the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. You know, in the scriptures it talks about how the day of the Lord, and we'll go into it a little bit more later, but it gives signs of how it would come about. And Jesus would criticize the Pharisees saying, 
You know how it's going to come, and even when it does come, you're going to be thinking about the weather. You're going to be thinking about something else, not even about the day of the Lord. And so here Paul's kind of saying, you guys are the opposite. You know, you guys are ready for it. You guys are looking into it, and I want you guys to know it like the back of your hand so that when it comes, you're not like the Pharisees. You're not like the people who don't really care about the day of the Lord, but you're fully aware. You're able to know what's going, what's going to happen, and you'll be ready for it. Um, we think of this phrase like a thief in the night. Um, we know that it means, you know, that same language of a thief in the night, you know, the Lord Jesus would also use it when he speaks about it. And then we know that he would use it again in Revelation and when he speaks about coming like a thief in the night. Um, we know that Paul was not one to set dates in regards to prophecy. And Jesus even himself would forbid anybody from setting a date of prophecy. He, he said nobody would know the day or the hour for when he comes. But he wanted his people to be prepared. And so... For the most part, people think that this thief in the night, the way that it's taken, it's almost represent, representative of midnight. So this time, this time of total darkness, there's no way for you to see, and that's usually the time a thief would come, at least in the olden days. Now I feel like nowadays thieves are pretty brazen and they'll, they'll come whenever. But at least back then, you know, they probably would have come in the, in the cover of darkness when no one can see them. Um, and for me, I think one of the most, one of the most um, prominent parables that I think that helped kind of push this is in Matthew 25, um, we won't go into it just for the lack of time, but in that one, you know, the Lord Jesus talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a bridegroom that's coming, and there's 10 virgins waiting his return, and the, the, the bridegroom is delayed, and as he's delayed, everybody goes to sleep, and then when they hear word that the bridegroom is coming, everybody wakes up, and five virgins, they would be called the foolish virgins, have their lamps, but they have no oil. And then they asked the five wise virgins if they could borrow some oil. And they're like, hey, we only have enough oil for ourselves. And then those five foolish virgins would then go out, go purchase oil. But during that time, the bridegroom would come and the doors of the, of the palace would be shut. And they would miss out on being part of that, that wedding party. They would miss out on that wedding. And the Lord used that to represent this, this idea of his kingdom coming. And so this thief and life comes in a way where if you're not prepared for it, you know, you do run the risk if you're not a believer. You run the risk if you're not saved. You run the risk if you're not part of God's family that you'll miss it and the door will shut. And so we see, we see that, um, you know, a thief doesn't give notice of when he comes. We know that that whole analogy is the fact is the thief doesn't tell people when he comes. Um, and so when we look at this, we would see that that's why the Lord would give. That's why Paul would give. That's why all these prophecies that we'll get into in a little bit about the day of the Lord, they all kind of give signs so that people would know what to expect. Um, just a little fun fact. Um, back the ancient church and the early churches, um, they used to have these services during Easter and during other Advent times. And they had a tradition they would follow where if they had a service that started in the evening, um, they wouldn't end the service until after midnight because they expected the Lord to come at midnight based upon these chapters. So they wouldn't even let anybody go home. They'd be like, we got to wait till midnight just in case the Lord comes because if the Lord's going to come at midnight, if we send you home, you guys aren't going to be ready. And so they had these, this tradition. Obviously, we know that you know, that's a little bit kind of on the nose a little bit, and we know that the Lord can come whenever he decides to. Um, the funny thing is also, technically, every hour, it's midnight somewhere. So you know, the Lord can come at any time, midnight's any time, even if it's not here. Um, so this next part we're going to get into is the day of the Lord. I do want to say that the day of the Lord, this topic of the day of the Lord, could take weeks to study. You know, so I want to say that when we get into it right now, this is a very top level, high level, um, kind of going over it. So please, um, you know, if you want to write some of these things down, look into it yourself. I would recommend just know that this isn't the fullness of it. You can get into so much about the prophecies. I just want to let everybody know. 
don't feel like this is exhaustive. Don't come up to me later and tell me, like, you forgot all this. I'm like, I know I forgot it. I just don't have time to do all of it. But we know that if we're going to think about the day of the Lord, there's two things that we should realize. The day of the Lord is coming. That's thing number one. The day of the Lord is coming. We know it's coming. And we know there's nothing that's going to stop it. So if anything you take out of this, remember that one point. Point number two would be that this day of the Lord, it represents a time when God will actively intervene in history and primarily for judgment. So for those two things, I would say, remember those two, two things. That's what the day of the Lord represents. It is coming, and it's when God decides to intervene on, on, on this earth. We know the day of the Lord is, is used, you know, primarily in, in the Old Testament by the prophets. Usually they're referring to some past judgment, and then usually they're looking forward to some, to some future judgment. We see that often in Lamentations chapter 2, and we see the future judgment like in examples of Joel 2 talking about the day of the Lord. Again, I wish we can get into it, and we just don't have enough time, but if you guys want to look into that later, I would recommend reading those chapters. And ultimately, it always culminates with some end of, end of the world, end of time prophecy where everything will be, will be kind of wrapped up the way that the Lord wants it to. Even Jesus himself would combine the two when he speaks of the prophecies in Mark chapter 13, and he talks about the destruction of the temple. That would be something that would happen in their lifetime, but then he would still point toward um, the, the, to the to prophecy in Daniel and then to the Antichrist and to the abomination of desolation that would stand in the temple in, in what we would say is the, is the tribulation. And so usually there's always a mixing of the two of immediate judgment and then looking towards future judgment, which is God coming and judging this earth. Um, we think of the day of the Lord in Joel chapter 1. Initially, um, God would speak about his, his judgment on Israel. He would call it like a locust plague. Um, and then he even talks about his outpouring of his spirit. And we, I think one of the brothers read that this morning in Joel chapter 2. Um, we see that also the, the spirit of the Lord does come. It descends upon the Christians in, in Acts chapter 2. And so, like I said, the Old Testament usually refers to, to, the, to the prophecies given to Israel, usually pointing to an end time prophecy about when God will restore Israel, when God will establish his kingdom, when God will finally give them exactly what they've been wanting. We know that when Jesus was on this earth, the people were looking for the Messiah that would come and pull them out of bondage in, in, in the Roman times. And that's why a lot of the people struggled at this concept of Jesus because they wanted a king now, but we know that Jesus came to save, to save sinners. And so they were struggling to, to kind of understand that why, why is he not the, the savior that's coming? Why is he not the king that's coming? And that's because that was still to come. But we know that when we use this phrase for the New Testament, then we're now we're referring to um, the day of the Lord when he comes back in the end times. Um, the day of the Lord is categorized in the Bible as a day of gloom and judgment. We think of the language that God uses depicting the, ch uh, the changes in nature, the darkening of the sun, the moon, and the stars. We see that in Isaiah 13, Joel 2, Joel 3, and even Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. So we do see that there are actual signs of physical things that will happen, na natural things that will happen, that kind of give an example of that coming. Um, we know that nations will be judged for their rebellion against God and his appointed people and the king. We see that in Joel 3, um, Psalms 2. And Israel is counseled not to be eager for that day because they will also be facing judgment for themselves, turning away from God several times. And we see that in Amos chapter 5. Um, following the day of judgment, following this day of the Lord, a future day of the Lord will also come, the future of this also comes with prosperity restoration and blessings for Israel. We see that in Joel chapter 3, and we know that from reading in the book of Revelation that the Lord, that God himself will restore, will you know, get rid of this old earth, this old heaven, and he'll restore a new earth and a new heaven. And so we know that restoration comes for, for all those that, that participate in it. 
Um, even in the New Testament, they kind of change it into the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then the day of Christ, Philippians 1. And so we see that Paul, when Paul writes to the different churches, he always refers to this day of the Lord, this day of Christ, when he will come and he will make restoration for those that, that he's come to save. Um, and then again, when the day of the Lord comes, the earth will be renewed, be purified through, through judgment of fire. And then we know that the Christ has his thousand-year reign. Um, for the most part, you know, the day of the Lord is set to begin. Again, the day of the Lord, this concept of the day of the Lord is not necessarily a day, a 24-hour period, but a time period. And so most people, most people would take that it starts with the church being raptured. Um, I think Josh spoke about that last week when they will be caught up in the sky in the, blinking, in the twinkling of an eye and will be with the Lord. And then from that point on, we have, um, we have the tribulation, the seven-year period, thousand-year reign, and then the new earth, and then judgment, and then... So we know that that time period, usually that consists of the day of the Lord, that whole entire thing. Some people believe that the day of the Lord really only refers to the time when the Lord Jesus will come, and he'll actually judge the nations, judge the sinners, judge those who have not given their life over to Christ. To be honest, um, you can go both ways. I'm not here to tell you which way to believe. I'm not telling you here which one's the right way. I think, again, the point is, as believers, we know that this is coming. And because we know this is coming, and because we know what's going to happen, just like our brother Chris Schroeder, when he was here for the conference, was talking about, there's a lot of people on this earth that don't know it's coming. There's a lot of people on this earth who don't think it's coming. There's a lot of people on this earth who don't care it's coming. But regardless of all those things, it is coming. And regardless of all those things, God's will will be done on this earth, and there's no stopping it. And so like Chris would, would implore us, he would beg us, that we need to tell people about this, that we need to give people the gospel. We need to let them know that Jesus Christ has come, that he's died on the cross, that he's paid for their sin, that through his own resurrection, the fact that he was able to, he was able to have the power to resurrect, to prove that he had power over death, and he gives salvation freely, this day of the Lord, this day of judgment, all the negative things that will be happening, we don't have to go through it. We know that as believers, we, don't, we, we won't go through it. We'll go through this chapter, and it will actually be told more about that. But we just want to know the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord comes with judgment. It comes with, 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 with punishment for sin, with punishment for what they've done, but it comes with restoration. But for believers, you know, we don't participate in the destruction. We're saved from that. And we want everyone else who isn't saved by that to know that so they don't have to go through that. Um, but again, that's just kind of, again, it's a topical overview. Like I said, we can do... Sundays and Sundays of trying to go over this day of the Lord concept and we could spend all the time but we don't have too much time so we'll, we'll kind of keep going from there um, we'll keep going uh, verse we'll go we're in verse 2 we'll go verse 3 so for while the people are saying there is peace and security then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains through, uh, come upon a, pe a pregnant woman and they will not escape so while people are saying this idea of people are saying are the men of the world um, we see that, you know, later on in this chapter are people who are not, who are not um, believers. And they're saying peace and security. Um, you know, it's kind of like an almost a sarcastic statement saying they're going to be seeing these signs and wonders. They're going to be seeing uh, the rumors of war. They're going to be seeing all these things that point to the coming destruction. And they're going to say, ah, peace and prosperity. Um, I believe there's a show right now. Um, I can't, I can't I don't remember what it's on, but they're, they're retelling the story of Chernobyl. And they're talking about the Chernobyl disaster. And... Um, me and Chris have been really interested in it, and we've been looking at articles about that disaster, and we've been kind of looking into the old archival footage. And one of the craziest things that we realized and that we saw was that even in the immediate days following the Chernobyl disaster, they would not admit that it happened. They would not admit that the core had blown open. 
they would not admit that there was radiation pummeling into the air. Um, and there was this time where the, the, the Russian government was not letting anybody know what was happening because in the end they didn't want the people, they didn't want the people, they didn't want the other nations to see them as inferior for having this situation happen. And so they lied to everybody. And they said, everything's fine, the radiation isn't that bad, we have it under control, we're doing what we can, and I believe it took years before they even got the immediate, the immediate stuff set up to prevent the radiation from happening. And I believe even now, um, you wouldn't even be able to step into Chernobyl for the next 50 years. You know, and, and, and the damage for, from Chernobyl made it all the way to Western Europe, it made it all over the world. There, there, was, there was other nuclear reactor sites thousands of kilometers away and they were picking up the radiation from, it was so terrible, but they didn't want to let anybody know it happened. And it took weeks before the world actually knew what was happening. We knew something happened, we knew there was a problem, but the extent of that problem wasn't made known to us until weeks later. And here Paul is kind of saying the same thing. Destruction will be coming upon people. This day of the Lord will be coming and people are gonna be like, peace and security, we're good. I don't know why you guys are freaking out. And so Paul is letting them know it's gonna come upon them. It's gonna come upon them like labor pains. You know, we think of when a woman goes into labor, it kind of just, you know, it kind of builds up, it builds up, builds up until finally it comes to a point where the pain is unbearable, where they know, oh, it's coming, the baby's coming, and they know that something is happening, but it kind of just comes in a way that's unexpected. I mean, even the Lord Jesus would use this analogy in Matthew 24, speaking of the end times, that they would come like that. And I mean, we see that also in Isaiah and Micah when they describe this also, this coming of the Lord, this day of the Lord. Um, and it's interesting because this phrase, shall not escape, um, in the Greek, it's shall not at all escape. So there's no chance. Like even if you thought you had a backup plan, even if you thought you had a plan B, even if you thought to yourself, well, you know, I'm gonna accept the Lord Jesus Christ later in life, or I'm gonna do this, there is no backup. Once that day is here, once that day arrives, it's over. There is no escape, and it will overtake them. Um, it's interesting, when God was speaking of this destruction of Israel to the destruction of, of, of that area, his judgment on the people, I always think of uh, Amos chapter 9 and verse 2. Um, the Lord is speaking and he's saying, if they were to dig into Sheol, my hand would still reach them down there. If they were to climb into heaven, my hand would be able to pull them from there. This coming day of the Lord, this destruction, the Lord, nothing was going to stop it from happening. And the Lord makes an emphasis of making sure that people know that, that there's nothing that would stop them from being able to do so. But we go on. Uh, verse chapter, uh, chapter 4, or verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of day. We are not of the night and not of darkness. So this idea, like, but you are not of darkness, but now there's a change in mood. Paul is introducing this heavy topic of the day of the Lord, but he is saying, but you guys are not in darkness. You guys are children of light, and you guys are children of day. This idea of not in darkness, darkness we always think of just spiritual ignorance or a spiritual moral nature that is of sin. You know, even when Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he talks about how the Gentiles, um, you know, their hearts and understanding are darkened. They're, they're alienated from God. And, and here Paul is saying, you guys are the opposite. You guys are not alienated. You guys are not darkened. You know the truth. And so he's letting him know it won't overtake you. It won't surprise you. Again, using this analogy, if he's using like a, like a thief in the night, a thief would overtake you. He would surprise you. He lays in wait. He's ready to attack you when he wants to. And Paul is saying, you guys are not going to be that way. You guys will not be overtaken. You will not be caught off um, in surprise. Um, and so, again, we, we keep going through. Uh, it's funny. I think uh, David, Dave Jr. and um, Mark, they both have that ring that ring doorbell. And so when you ring the doorbell, you get an alert on your phone. It shows you a video feed of what you're looking at. 
And it's crazy because it's, it's, uh, you can see everything. You can see who's there. You can, you can hear them. You can talk to them and be like, hey, you know, who, if you don't know who they are, who are you? What are you looking for? It's crazy. And I don't know if it's Ring, but there are other apps where they have kind of like a social media website and people post videos. And the reason that they post these videos is to warn other people. I used to have a coworker that I worked with. We used to live a mile apart from each other, and he had one of those doorbells. And every day he would tell me, oh, you gotta look at this video. And he would show me a video, and it would be this guy trying to break into a door. And it would be like, he's like, dude, that's, that was a block from my house, man. You gotta be careful, you gotta be careful. And he would show me a video like every, every, every other day at least. And it was always new videos in our neighborhood. If we, like I said, we lived a mile apart. People trying to break into doors, people looking into windows, and they're usually doing it at night when they don't think anyone is watching. But the, the ring camera has like a night, I guess it has a night vision mode. And he would show me, look at all these people. And people are just brazenly looking in windows, trying to pry them open, trying to open, testing doors just to see if they're unlocked, checking cars to see if the doors are, un, are, are unlocked. And the reason that they built this website is so people can warn each other and say, hey, if you're in my neighborhood, be on the lookout for this person. Here's a photo of this person. Here's a video of this person. And they're using it to warn each other and prepare each other. Look, I don't know where this guy's going. We don't know where he's heading. But you guys should be careful. Make sure you guys lock your doors, check your windows, check your cars. And it's helpful, right? And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you don't know what's going on. And so when someone lets you know that this is happening, then you're extra, you're extra secure. You know, I grew, up, I grew up in East LA, so we always... We always made sure to lock the doors anyways because we were always ready for bad stuff. I told my neighbor, he told me, Sam, you got to get that ring doorbell. And I'm like, you know what? I got a ring doorbell. It's called the 12-gauge. It's under my bed. We'll be, we'll be fine. But it's true, right? We want to be prepared. And so here Paul is kind of saying, you guys are not in darkness. You guys need to be prepared. Here's what you need to know. Here are the warnings for it. And so it's, he tells them children of light, children of day. When we, when we look at the original Greek, when we look at the words here, we know that the word son, you know, usually we think of son, we think of somebody that's born, you know, it's, it's somebody's child, somebody's firstborn son, secondborn son. But here, at least in this language, the word son not only means that, but it also means that they take on the characteristics of their father. And so, you know, and I think, I think we know that in a way, but re in reality, we think of like a son, we know that he's genetically made of chromosomes from both the mother and the father, and that's what we always talk about, how he looks like his mom, he has his father's eyes, his mother's lips. He, we talk about how they take on those characteristics, and here Paul is using that same language to say the same thing. Because you are children of light, because you are children of day, the characteristics of light, the characteristics of day, those should be things that are represented on you so that when people look at you, they can say, you're a son of light, you're a son of day, you're a son of the living God. And he wants them to know you carry these characteristics, and because of these characteristics, you will not be overtaken by the darkness. And so Paul is basically saying, you guys are worried about the day of the Lord. You guys are worried about this coming darkness. I want you guys to know that because you are sons of light, sons of God, because you have come to this saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not of darkness because you can never be of darkness because now you are made to be sons of light. And he's kind of encouraging him, letting him know, you know, because that, that's human nature, right? We're, we're, we're human beings and we make mistakes and we treat each other poorly and we sin and we do the wrong things. And, you know, most of the time we feel super guilty about it, right? And we feel terrible and we're like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted this way. And Paul is kind of reminding them, even though we mess up, even though that we are physically in darkness because of our nature, just because of the way the world is, you are not of darkness. And he makes that distinction. You are not a son of darkness, that you carry the characteristics of darkness, but you are a son of the light, son of the day, that you carry on those characteristics, even if we 
you know, have to dwell in the darkness for some time and period. And he's kind of reminding them, you are protected that way. You are done that way. Even, even Jesus in John chapter 12, when the disciples are wondering when, why the Son of Man must be lifted up if there's a kingdom to come, and he reminds them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you still have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. For the one that walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And so even Jesus would remind the disciples to dwell in the light, to be a part of the light, so the darkness would not overtake them. Um, and again, the Christian condition should be one that is associated and habitually living in this idea of light, contrary to trying to live in this idea of darkness. Um, like I said, we, we, we live in a broken world, we live in a sinful world, we still have a sinful nature, and we do have to deal with darkness. You know, it's not like the world is getting better, it's not like we are set apart where we're not going to endure bad things, we're not going to be put through temptation, we're not going to be put through these different things, but Paul is reminding them that because we are not of darkness, that is not where we stand, and that we should always be constantly moving towards being part of the light, moving towards redeeming, having the Lord redeem us, that we would be able to shine brightly, do what we need to do, um, and not be caught in sin. Um, chapter, uh, verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Um, here the Greek rest um, is... Here he's actually talking about sleep, sleep. Sometimes when they use the word sleep, we think of death. But in this actual instance, the word is actually for sleep. Um, and he's saying, do not be, let us not sleep then. Um, usually sleep speaks of ignorance, insensibility, no defense, inactivity. We think of the Roman guards who fell dead before the angel. And they were scared later that they would be, they would be killed because they fell asleep on the job. Um, you think of yourself while driving late at night. And sometimes you find, you find yourself trying to fall asleep. I remember um, when we'd go see movies with my father, we could only see movies between noon and three, because any time after that, he'd fall asleep in the movie, and it would, be, it would suck, because we'd try to talk to him about the movie, and he wouldn't remember, because he fell asleep. He would have told us he wouldn't fall asleep, but he'd always fall asleep. So we had to always watch a movie between noon and three. If, if, we, if we couldn't do it, either he ain't coming, or we gotta wait till, we gotta wait till the next day, because we knew he was gonna fall asleep every single time. Um, but here, Paul is saying, do not fall asleep. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want to fall asleep. You don't want to be caught this way. Um, and so keep watch. And so, again, this is to be alert, to be watchful. Um, the literal translation is to be wakeful. Um, and then we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 34 also, where it says, wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right and do not go on sinning. Um, in other translations, this idea of to watch, it literally means to come to your senses. So if you weren't paying attention before, start paying attention now. If you were noticing that you weren't following along, start following along now. If you realize that you haven't been doing what you think you should be doing, now that you've realized it, come to your senses, start watching, be alertful. And so it's an idea of it's an active motion. You know, sometimes I think we think of like when we're asleep, we're asleep, and when we're awake, we're awake. But really, you can be awake and not be paying attention. I used to go through classes all the time where I'd be awake, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be paying attention, right? And so... Paul is saying this idea of being awake is not just this state of awakeness, but it's an action of awakeness. You're being attentive, you're taking, and I'm not talking about me, I'm not trying to be, say you have to take my notes, but you're taking notes, you're paying attention, you're being thoughtful of what you're doing so that when the Lord has presented something before you, you're ready for it. And then to be sober, and here, you know, the word sober is to be refraining from carnal indulgence, mental or sensual. Um, usually, you know, we think of this idea of being sober as not being drunk, not being intoxicated. And while the word does mean that, um, you know, Paul's thinking about more of that spiritual sense. You know, I remember growing up, um, 
you know, they used to have, I don't know if they still have it now, but they used to have like the D.A.R.E. program, right? And they would come into your classroom and talk about the effects of drugs and alcohol and tell you, you know, when, you, when you're drunk, you have loss of inhibition, loss of motor control, loss of mental acumen. And they used to tell you all the negative things that would happen if, if, if you were to be drunk. And here Paul is saying, if we were to take that concept, I want you to be the opposite. I want you to be alert. I want you to be in control of your inhibitions, be in control of your motor skills, be in control of your mind so that you're actively pursuing what you need to be pursuing. And so, again, I think this whole idea is he wants us to be vigilant and ready and prepared so that when this day comes, when everything that comes, we're ready for it. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. And so, we, again, we think of this idea that at night is when we sleep. At night is when people, I mean, in the contextual, in the contextual, cultural way at night is when people get drunk. Again, nowadays, people do whatever they want whenever they want, but we would have, at least in this time, taken this idea of being drunk, being, being asleep, as things that you do at night, and thus, if you were to be doing it during the day, it would be shameful. You know, if you were to be asleep during the day when you should be working, when you should be doing things um, in your house or in your neighborhood or, you know, being drunk during the day, at least in this time, and even, even nowadays, it would be shameful to not be doing those things, right? We think of people who don't go to work, people that kind of goof off, and we think of that as being shameful, that they should be working, they should be doing something. And Paul's kind of, um, <coughs> Paul's kind of re reminding them that's, that that's need to be do they need to be doing things during the day and not, being, not just doing things when they don't want to be. Um, chapter, uh, verse 8. But since we belong to the, day, to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Um, we know that faith, hope, and love are the three preeminent graces. We see that in the first chapter of this book, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, 3. You know, when, we, when we look back at 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, remembering, it, it, verse 3 says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. And so we see that these three graces, Paul has already introduced at the beginning of this letter, and he's kind of reintroducing them. You know, we think of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, where it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. And again, the greatest of these is love. So we're trying to be vigilant. We're trying to be sober-minded. And yet, the one thing that we want to remember is that these three graces, we think of, again, faith, hope, and love, it's not stuff that happens, that we, indwells in us naturally, you know, because naturally we're sinners, right? And naturally we're of the darkness, and naturally we're enemies of God. So this idea of faith, hope, and love is not necessarily stuff that happens to us naturally. You know, I always find it hard to like people that annoy me. I find it hard to show love to people that annoy me. And that's because that's what my human nature is. And here we're reminded that these three things, we're putting them on the breastplate, the breastplate of faith and love and the, helmet, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. We are literally taking something that is not of us naturally and we're putting it on. And here it's a reminder that these things do not come from us, but come from, from, from God, right? When we become, when we, we give our lives over to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit indwells in us. These qualities, these traits, is not like we had them all along. It's stuff that the Lord has given to us to now use for our benefit and for the benefit of others. Literally, we're literally putting on this armor. We're literally putting on these things. And it makes, it makes sense now that faith, hope, and love are actions. It's stuff that we have to live out to dwell out because it's something that we've put on and now we're actually actively using and not just something that we're wearing for, for fashion's sake. Um, and so we gotta, be, we gotta be awake, we gotta be sober, we gotta be armed, and so we think about the fact that if we think about this like a piece of armor, you know, a, a soldier would not go into battle without his helmet, his, his flak jacket, his gun. He wouldn't go into battle, right? If he went into battle, we, we all know he's gonna die. 
We all know that in the middle of a fight, he'll probably be the first person to go. But because of the materials that he has on, because of the tools that he has on, because of the protection that he has on, he has a greater chance of surviving the battle. And in the same way, we as believers, if we're given these things as things to put on, why would we ever go into battle, spiritual battle, not putting them on? You know, we just make it harder on ourselves. So this idea of faith, hope, and love, Paul is reminding them, you should be putting this on every day. You should be putting it on at all times. Because if you don't put it on, it's just a detriment to yourself. You're literally just asking to be shot. You're literally asking to be hurt in this time. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Put it on because we think about the breastplate protecting the heart. We think about the helmet protecting the head. You know, it protects us from what we need to be. Um, and so, again, you know, he just, and he just pulls these three things out. If you, uh, if you wanted to go and read more about it, you could, you could, we could go through the whole, the whole armor of God. Um, but again, like I said, a soldier would, wouldn't go into battle without this armor, neither should we be doing that. I always think about when I go home, um, when I go visit my mom, I try to visit my mom once a week to go see her, see my nephew, see my brother, and uh, every time I walk in the door, she's always ready to tell me, like, oh, are you taking your omega pills? Are you taking, you know, are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? And I'm always like, oh, like, I, I don't want you to keep telling me that every week, but, you know, as a mom, she wants to keep telling me so that I'm doing the right things, I'm preparing myself, I'm keeping myself fine, and because she cares, right, and so the Lord himself is also giving us these things because he doesn't want us to go into battle, he doesn't want us to go through our life without these things, because he knows, he knows how much danger we are in, and he wants to protect us from that. Um, verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And again, for this assigning of the grounds of our hope, you know, we're destined, we're set, we're being placed with a purpose. You know, the Lord himself has placed us for, he has placed us not as a purpose for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that this wrath, again, referring back to the day of the Lord, Paul is reminding them that none of us are destined for wrath. You know, none of us who, are, who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, our destination is not pain, it's not suffering, it's not judgment. It's not any of the things that the day of the Lord will bring, but it's salvation. And Paul is reminding them that that is what we're destined for. We are destined for salvation. There is going to come a time of wrath. There will come a time of punishment. There will come a time of judgment. That's not, that's not, that is still happening. That's not going to stop. But as a believer, we're not destined for that. And Paul is reminding them of that. And so again, this idea of obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, we do not obtain salvation we are not saved by our own works. We're not saved by our own hand. We can't do anything to save ourselves, but it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we remind, we're reminded, you know, as we come together this morning to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, we come and remember that he would come to this earth. He would die on a cross. He would shed his blood. He would take on the sin of the world. The Lord would bring that judgment upon him. And through his resurrection, he would prove that power, that he is the Messiah, that he has taken sin, and that he has vanquished it. And he's coming again. He would tell his disciples that he would come and meet them again. God wishes that nobody would perish. You know, he created mankind for fellowship. He created mankind that he would have a, a relationship with his, with his creation. But it's mankind that has chosen not to do that, right? We think of mankind taking of the fruit and then from now on being opposite of God, being against God. And so, you know, I would just remind us, just like our brother, like our brother Chris reminded us, you know, there are people on this earth who do not know that. There are people on this earth who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people on this earth that don't even know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this day of the Lord that's coming, this time of judgment that is coming, they are destined for that. That is their destiny. But if they were to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, if they were to hear the gospel, if they were to know more about him, 
they would move from that destination of wrath to the destination of salvation. And so it's up to us to go and to give that out. And so when Paul writes this, this, at least this portion of this letter, he's reminding them, I know you guys are thinking about the day of the Lord and you're worried about it, and I want you to know that it is coming, but you're not going to be the ones that have to deal with it, but there are others that will have to deal with it. And therefore, uh, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing this idea of urging, encouraging, exhorting, you know, this idea of, of, of bringing comfort to one another. Um, you know, the Greek, is, the Greek is comfort. The Greek is one another. So not bringing comfort to yourself, but bringing comfort to those that are around you. Um, and then we have this idea of building each other up. The actual word building up is literally like a, like, a, like a person that builds a house. You put the pieces down. You're edifying each other. You're building each other up. You're strengthening each other's foundations. You're helping each other grow closer to the Lord so that you're built up in a way that you can withstand the things that are coming. Um, and so... As we kind of end this, as we kind of end just this portion of this chapter, I just want to remind everybody, you know, again, the day of the Lord is coming. That's for sure. You know, the day of the Lord um, is when he will come and he will intervene on the affairs of this world. And it is coming. And it's something that we know is happening. But for every person in this room that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have to go through that judgment. We do not have to go through that pain. You know, we're destined for salvation. But for those that are not, you know, this would be a reminder that, there, that you will have to pay the penalty for your sin. You will have to pay the price for your, um, for your sin. But you do not have to because the Lord himself has provided a path. You know, we think of when Abraham and Isaac go up to the mountain and Isaac would ask his father, where is, where is the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? Where is the animal for our sacrifice? And Abraham would keep telling him, the Lord will provide. You know, and even until the moment where the Lord, the Lord tells Abraham not to sacrifice his son, you know, they find a ram in the, in the thicket, and the Lord really did provide. You know, and, 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 and for those who have not come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has already provided. He has given his son. He has given his life. And there is salvation for those who have not accepted. And all they have to do is, is to, 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 to be admit their sinners, to admit that they need the help, and to come to this realization that Jesus Christ is Lord and that they want to give their lives to them. And by doing so, you move over into this destination of salvation. And so I would just pray, for, I would just pray that for, for us here, um, that we remember that, that we would think about that. The day of the Lord is coming, and we should treat each day as if it is coming. We should treat each person that we meet as somebody that doesn't know so that they would come to that saving knowledge because they will pay for that. They, if they have not come to Jesus, they will pay for that sin. So I would just pray that we go, that we are encouraged not to, not to be scared of the day of the Lord, but to be hopeful that the Lord is coming, that he will complete his promises, that he will complete his prophecies, and that by doing so, we can go and tell others so they would also have that, that saving knowledge. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for this time, Father. We give you thanks that we're able to come together to remember your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember the sacrifice that he would, that he would pay, Father, that he would, be, um, he, would be, he would be our substitute, Father, that he would take our place and he would take our punishment, Father, and that when we come to this saving knowledge, when we accept him as our Savior, Father, that we would have salvation, that we would become children of light, children of day, and that we would be able to um, partake with you, Father, um, in the glory that is to come. So we just pray right now, Father, that as we finish up, that you allow us to be vigilant, to be sober, to be ready for this day, Father, so that we're letting people know of your Son, spreading the gospel, Father, and letting people know that they also may obtain this salvation. We give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.